Well, it feels like we're a little disjointed, doesn't it, in this study, because we get it going, and then we have interruption for a month, and then we got going, then we had Easter, and now, so we've been kind of stop starting, stop starting this. So I feel like I've introduced the concept of having our children grow in favor with man. Remember, we had a fourfoldness. We looked at Jesus Christ as our example, that he grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and in favor with man. So we are in the last category of our study on biblical parenting. And we've used an acrostic all the way through these of D-I-A-P-E-R, diaper. And so we are moving through this acrostic with regard to growing in favor with man. And we've talked about social development. And social development has, in many places, meant development among peers. But that is not what it means to grow in favor with man that your peers like you. We're not trying to raise children that are likable to their peers. We're really talking about a social development that moves them to adulthood. Remember that we want them to be able to function and see uh, the uh, people uh, in the adult, particularly in those in authority, we're going to talk a lot about authority tonight, that are, that are pleased by their behavior, their attitudes, their actions, their, and their speech, and that this is the evidence that they are in favor with man. And so we usually talk about social development, like I said, among peers. That's not the biblical view. If you put a bunch of children together and say, well, they need to learn how to get along, uh, you'll have anarchy because they have no structure to develop that social development. They need it from adults, because we're trying to raise adults. Remember, we're not trying to raise children. We're trying to raise adults. And that means that we need to bring them into uh, a generation that they're not a part of. And so they're in childhood, and we talked two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how the complaint is always from teenagers, you don't get my generation. But the ones who should be shouting this are the parents of teenagers. You don't get my generation. Because that's true. Um, because the fact is we do get their generation because we used to be their age. They have never been our age. Okay? They have never been an adult. They don't know what it takes to function in the adult world. We should be the ones telling them, you don't get our generation, that's why I'm here to teach you. Because you can't behave like this when you are in your late 20s and 30s and 40s. You can't behave like this. This is not going to be acceptable. And if you do not have the uh, approval of the two adults in your life that love you, how are you going to gain the approval of the world that doesn't love you? that is really, you, has a more utilitarian view of you. What can, you know, an employer, what is his view of you? Primarily, it's utilitarian. It's how can you help my business, correct? That's what employer's there. That's why he's paying you, is for you to help him make money. And if you don't help him make money, then you aren't a value to him and shouldn't be there. Uh, and so there, most of the world has a utilitarian view of relationships. Unfortunately, that's even in marriages. Uh, we look to our spouse to meet our needs. 
And, but true love says, I am here to meet your needs. And it's, a, it's an unselfish thing. But the fact is that even within a, a marriage relationship, there is utilitarian aspect. What do parents get out of raising children? It is the least utilitarian of all relationships. You get almost nothing out of it. Uh, so, you get a lot of heartbreak later on. Uh, but generally speaking, there's very little benefits while you're raising these children uh, in your home and feeding them and disciplining them and doing all the things, instructing them. What are you getting? Well, God says that it is his way of blessing us that we have an heritage. The only way that we have a heritage in our children, if we are able to communicate to them biblical truth and they accept it and bring it into reality in their life. Otherwise, do we have a heritage at all? No, not of any value. We might have lots of grandchildren, or they might live a long time, but if they're not walking in the Lord, they're just going to be a perpetual heartache. And so, um, if your children aren't able to please mom and dad uh, and learn what that takes, then they're going to have a very difficult time going out into the world to understand what it takes to be in to have men favor them, to grow in favor of man. The men look upon them. And so we are trying to institute these disciplines, these instructions, uh, and exercising authority and provision, example, and recognizing rebellion um, to benefit them, that they might grow in favor with men. It does not mean popular. It means that we, are, we have a benefit to our society, that they look upon us and they will then recognize that this is a person of character that I can trust. This is a person of character that, uh, that uh, uh, is uh, benefiting not only my company or my community, but all of us, everyone around him. Uh, this is a person of, of character that is worth having in our lives. Uh, when did Jesus begin to really show this? Uh, I think one of the great examples for us is when he was in uh, the temple at the age of 12. So we, don't, we have, who's closest to 12 here? Daniel, is that you? How old are you? 10. You're getting there. All right. So we have a goal for you. You ready for this one? Oh, I'm in Matthew. I'm in Matthew. Sorry. Where was Jesus in the temple? So we're in Luke chapter 2. We have the whole birth narrative and all that happens. And we usually stop right there. And again, we find in verse 40, child grew and became strong and spirit filled the wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Matthew was the other passage. We talked about those four elements of growth. Uh, we now come to the events of chapter, verse 41 and following. It says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey, sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple. What in the world was the guy doing for three days? A 12-year-old in Jerusalem, but three days on his own. 
sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. We're going to talk right there. Stop right there for the time being. We're going to talk about this. And so most people, when they handle this passage, talk about Jesus' relationship with his parents. And certainly there's an element that we can study this and how he submitted. We've already talked about the nature of Christ's submission to Mary and Joseph as his mother and father. And, and we find uh, his reaction. We're not going to go that far. We want to talk about his relationship with the other men. The other men in this passage are the elders, the teachers, uh, there in the temple. Now, if the main event has already passed, all the activity of that is gone. The Feast of Passover is huge, of course. That's, that's uh, second only to maybe the Day of Atonement. So the Feast of Passover is passed. All the crowds are going home. And who is left behind that are the teachers of Jerusalem? These are the rabbis. These are, that's word rabbis. Teachers is rabbis. And so these are the leaders, the communicators of truth to Israel. And here's a 12-year-old sitting down. And notice what's the first thing we find him doing. What's the first word describing his activity with them? You got it in front of you. What's the first, first thing he was doing? Listening. He was listening to them. He sat there and he listened. And oh, that we would understand the value and our children would learn the value of listening. Being good listeners. And I would contend that one of the primary responsibilities of parenting in terms of preparing your children to be in favor, to grow in favor with men, is to learn to be listeners. Are you listening? Listen carefully, and, and the development of them in many areas of their life is requisite for them to learn how to listen. And it takes a lot of work upon parents to do this uh, because you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to have a level required that children think they can't learn these things, but they must. And so even some parents will say, well, my child isn't uh, an audible learner. They don't learn by listening. Every child learns by listening. <laughs> yes, they can also learn by doing, by saying, by seeing. Uh, and I, but all children learn by listening. Even deaf children learn by listening in their own way. Okay? Uh, and... One of the primary ways of, of learning is that whole idea of communicating information. The best way to communicate information uh, at an adult level is listening. Not even reading. Reading isn't as good as listening. We're all concerned about our children learning to read. Why is listening more valuable in learning than reading? To hear someone else say, how much information am I communicating beyond my words when I talk to you? All right. Voice inflection, expressions, my facial expressions, my activity. 
I am communicating volumes of information to you that you can get in addition to the words that I am saying. If I just send you a text message with all the words, it is not as effectual, it is not as good as hearing it. This is one of the reasons I encourage, especially with your children, to have them read out loud. And you should be reading out loud to them. And don't just read. Okay, I, I've read to my children, I've read to my grandchildren, and my daughter comes up to me later on when she's in her late teens, so you don't read to us like you used to. I'm like, well, you're not a child anymore. You know, and I have a different voice for every character in every book. And it doesn't change. So all my grandchildren come to me and they bring me the gingerbread man. And the gingerbread man always sounds the same. And so does the wolf and so does the uh, farmers and so does the bear and, and so does the fox. They always have the same voice. And, that, and they recognize that. And I'm teaching them to be good listeners. And then I can use a voice and they'll look at me. Wait a minute. That's not the fox's voice. Because they can learn. And so we find the first evidence in this public coming out of Jesus Christ, uh, and if I'm in a favorable relationship with adult men, these are mature men, these are rabbis, and he's carrying on a conversation with them, but that conversation begins by listening. He has developed good listening skills, and this is so important. And so, uh, when we talk about authority, where do you exercise authority in the area of developing them socially? And I believe one of the first areas that you need to develop in them is the, is the quality of listening. And that they have to listen. And I have always warned my children that when you hear dad's voice, you immediately start listening. Even if I didn't necessarily say your name at the beginning of it. That when you hear dad's voice, boom, that gets your attention. And there's no excuse. I know how far my voice travels. <laughs> I learned how to use my diaphragm in seminary and my preaching classes. I know how to project that across a parking lot, across a store, across a restaurant, across my house, across the church. And this idea, I didn't hear you, never cut it with me. I said, it's your job to hear me. If there's one voice that you should always react to is the voice of dad. If there's a second voice you should always react to, it's the voice of mom. Now, time-wise, that's difficult. In my home, it was easy because I work out of my home, and so my voice is the one they heard most, uh, and mom's voice was the one they heard second most in their life. So you might have a difficult time wanting to reverse those two, that they hear mom's voice before they hear your voice because your voice is at work most of the day. Um, but we need to exercise that. And that, yes, there is disciplinary elements involved that I'm going to exercise my authority. That when my voice is heard, your voice becomes quiet and you become a listener. And the very best person to help dad establish that is who? Mom. Mom should not be interrupting dad's voice. 
even if he's wrong? That's a question. Even if he's wrong? Yes. Do we have that in God's word somewhere that says that specifically? In Peter? Wives are said, you know, by, by your silence, you can win your husband, even if he doesn't obey the truth. That doesn't give you the permission to, to violate his authority. Even if he doesn't obey the truth, you, by a, a silent, quiet, godly disposition toward him, can win him. Well, I would contend that in front of your children, this needs to be seen, that you hear his voice. And we can see this again. God, Jesus Christ uses that example where I'm the shepherd. So my sheep do what? They hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. Your children need to be, one of the primary exercises of your authority is in their hearing. That your voice should be one recognized, it should be one that's heeded, and it should make them pay close attention. As soon as they hear dad's voice, oh, and how do we establish that? Okay, when they're two and three years old, that's when you establish that. Whether your voice matters to them. Now, it can be established later. You say, oh, they're already too old for that. No, you can reestablish this. It's just a little more work. But two and three years old. Okay? Uh, with, even with my grandchildren, I'm doing it because I have to grandparent them. And so when they're in my home, I just say their name. This is how I do it. I did this with my children too. I just say their name. I haven't told them anything to do or not to do. What am I waiting to hear? I'm waiting for them to say nothing. I'm waiting for them to stop and look. As they get a little older, they'll say, yes. Yes, Dad? You wanted me, Dad? Just by saying their name. And what we are doing is we're communicating, as soon as you hear my voice, say Felicity, Felicity stops in her tracks. She stops playing with whatever and she looks. Because she knows that if she doesn't pay attention, she's going to lose her opportunity to play with that toy or to do whatever activity she's doing or go wherever she's going or play whatever game she's playing if she doesn't listen. So even as a grandparent, yes, you should be exercising these techniques. Help your, help your children out with their children, okay? By reinforcing that, you should be one of those authorities that they recognize in your life. You have authority in their life, okay? You're their grandparent. Uh, I'm their pastor. And so one of the ways I test this is I say their name. And if they just tool along like they never heard me, oh my goodness, the hammer comes down. I didn't give them instruction. I didn't say stop, no, nothing. I just said their name. But they ignored me. And that's all it takes to get in trouble with me. And so when I, when I say someone's name, when I say Joshua, and he just keeps tooling along like I don't exist, at we're life clubs, I immediately go over and say, Joshua, I'm talking to you. You're in trouble now because you didn't stop and respond to my voice. That would be in we're life clubs usually. Right? And so this is how you're going to exercise, this is one of the primary ways of exercising authority in the area of growing in favor with men. What is the first thing that your 
that adults need to understand in a new environment with your employer, with your teacher, your professor, with your uh, spouse even, with your uh, friends and neighbors, what's the first thing you need? You need to be able to be, listen. That's how you get to know people. That's how you get to know what's important to them. That's how you begin to understand them. What do you want from, what, what was my job here? You have to have listening skills, and those begin in a very early age. Does it take a lot of effort early on? Yes, but if you pour the effort out at the beginning, it will save you so much more later on. Because once they start being able to run and ride their bike away and things like that, and you call their name and nothing happens, um, boy, now you've got a harder job. Because now you've got to chase them down. When they're two and three years old, they can't get away very fast. Okay? They can try, but, the, the, you know, they know you're coming. Boom, boom, boom. Okay? But, and, but they, their stride isn't long enough to get away from you. Okay? Uh, even on a bad, neat leg, I can still, you know, catch them and say, hey, I said your name. You should have been, you don't ignore me. That's not allowed. So we are training them to listen to authorities. And this is the area of authority that I think Jesus Christ comes. He is, he is honoring that these rabbis have authority. Does Jesus have more authority than them? Yes and no. Yes, he does because he's the king of kings and lord of lords, but no, he doesn't because he's 12 years old. Okay? And so both are true. And so he could very easily go in there and just blow their minds with what he could communicate. But would he be in favor of men at that point? No. And so he has a recognition of authority is a critical part of growing in favor with men. Is to honor the authorities in your life. That's why honoring your father and mother is where it begins. Because that's something that's going to be in their life if they learn to honor mom and dad. Then they can honor uh, the next authority in their life, the next authority in life. But ultimately, the authority we want them to honor is the authority of God in their life. And so Jesus Christ comes into this environment with adult, mature men. These are rabbis. And the first thing we find him doing, sitting there listening to them. Now, we're all struck by the latter part of this where he amazes them with his answers, but the first thing we find him do is listening. And oh, that you would use your authority in your child's life to bring them as, up as good listeners, especially to those in authority in their life. Okay, And there are ways as they grow to develop that. And we have exercises. Uh, one of the exercises you should use as they get a little older, when they're able to communicate, uh, what did I just tell you? Repeat it back to me. Especially if I'm having a problem with a kid, I tell them what to do, now tell me. I like to give multiple things to a child to see if they're listening. I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, and, and I might give them four or five instructions at once. You say, well, that's, how can they process all that? They can only deal with one thing at a time. They only can deal with one thing at a time if that's all you expect of them. So if you want to develop this, we need to develop listening skills to be able to concentrate enough to listen to more than one instruction at a time. 
I want you to do this, then this, then this, in that order. And a 10-year-old can figure out three to seven things in a row to do and should not be able to forget them and, and do them in the correct order. Do this, this, this. Uh, but what I'm finding is 30-year-olds who can't do that because they've never expected them as youth. They never concentrate enough to listen carefully to make it important that what I say. But when my children hear a list, they know I got some things for you to do. Here they are. Boom, 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 boom. I don't expect to have to repeat this over and over and over and over and over again one step at a time. I still have to do that with Andrea sometimes at our house, but not with my own children because they were raised differently. Okay? And it is hard. It is hard to learn good listening skills when you become older. It's not impossible, but it is hard. It becomes harder because your brain gets stuck and, and in old ways. The best time to teach this is as they're growing, part of their growth is, I'm going to give you a longer and longer list. I expect this, 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 this. Well, now I expect this, 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 and this. And we're helping them mature not only in their memory. It's not really memory I'm trying to develop. I'm trying to develop their listening skills. Concentrate on what I'm saying enough to remember four things. We're, we're inviting them to to learn concentration skills and listening skills by giving them a list of things. And Jesus Christ is listening to them and he's showing them respect and that's why nobody questions where this kid is at. Can you, the rabbis, don't, whose kid are you? Where are your parents? They didn't say that for three days. You know, I spend 30 minutes with some kids, I'm like, where are your parents? <laughs> I'd like to get rid of you because you're annoying. Right? 12-year-olds, okay? I, and we're life clubs. I have the 12-year-olds. And sometimes 40 minutes down in my basement is enough. I'm like, where are your parents? I'll send you home. Um, for three days, they didn't question where this kid's parents were. They didn't have nothing. They, were just, they just loved having a kid there that was so focused in his listening and so engaged in, with them that they never even challenged where his parents were. Wow. You say, well, you're talking about the Son of God. I'm talking about a 12-year-old boy, okay? <laughs> He's still a 12-year-old boy. With all the energy and everything of a 12-year-old boy, and, but he has these listening skills, concentrating, showing what you have to say is important enough for me to focus my mind on it and to remember enough to engage it. So he's listening to them. And I would contend with you, you want to exercise authority in developing your child. One of the first and best ways is get them to become good listeners to your voice. Start early and, and keep progressing it as they get older and older. And when you get into their older ages, you should just have to say their name. And sometimes I don't remember their name because I'm getting really old. And I go, hey, you! And they all come running. And I'm like, I don't I meant her. You know, or I meant him. Uh, but they all say, what? And one of the worst things now that I have adults, children in my home, are earbuds. Okay, hate them. Despise them. You know, because I didn't hear you, man. I says, well, you're not going to eat then, are you? Because we're going to call you to supper, and if you've got the earbuds in, don't hear, we're eating without you. And this isn't a restaurant. You, you, you either eat with us or you don't eat. Okay? And so even in an adult world, I have authority. It's my house. 
Okay, you want to live with your earbuds? So now I noticed Scott was going out one earbud in one out so he could hear me. <laughs> you only have to miss one or two meals for that to happen. Well, let's drop one earbud out. Um, and, and he knows that when he comes out, he better pull the other one because I won't talk to him if I don't have both ears. I just don't talk to people. If they're on their cell phone, you're talking, you're, you're looking, you're doing something else, I don't have your full attention, I'm wasting my breath talking to you. This is a communication. And so when I have a child come in who is attentive, listening, and engaged, uh, and obviously focused and can repeat to me what I've just said, uh, I'm like, wow, and he has now gained my favor. But you have to exercise some authority to make that happen. Let's keep going. Not only is he listening, what's the next thing he does? He's listening to them and asking them questions. He is asking them questions. After he listens, then he asks questions. And it's okay, this is good. If you give out a list and a child doesn't quite understand something on that list to ask a question about that, uh, or to ask a question about something you've told them, um, does this mean that? Now, we're not talking about an attitude where, why do I have to do that? All right, technically, that is a question. But we all know that that's really a challenge of rebellion. I mean a genuine question like, do you want me to do it this way or that way? Is it like last time? Is it, uh, if they have a question, it's okay. Um, and we, I think we can all measure our children and know the difference between a, an obnoxious attitudinal question and a genuine question that wants to clarify something that they heard. Well, you said this, does this mean this? And Jesus here is asking them questions relevant to what he heard. And wanting to clarify and sharpen. And so he's engaging them in some difficult questioning. Um, not trying to catch them at something. Well, that's not the evidence here. But rather he is asking them questions to pursue trains of thought that they are introducing in their teaching that he's listening to. Now what's the, and so we should have that. We should have that engagement. And so it's not my word is the end and you can't say a thing afterwards. No, no. I have started a dialogue. You have listened. That's appropriate. Now ask appropriate questions. Uh, and silly, empty-headed questions get a response like, duh, um, uh, from me to my kids and probably later on to my grandkids and probably to some of you. That's probably why some of you. Anyway, um, just because I'm like, duh. You know, I just shouldn't have to explain that. I wouldn't think. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but uh, sometimes if someone asks me a question, uh, that's genuine, I tend to respond and give them a good, clear answer. And, and, you know, I understand that sometimes there's vocabulary words they haven't learned. There's expectations they don't understand. We want to develop that. So they should be in an atmosphere where they can ask legitimate questions, um, but they should also um, be listening to the answer. If they're asking a question, what's the next step? You have to listen for the answer, <laughs> okay? If they're asking a question, what's the next step? I have to sit here and listen for an answer. That's what I've been trying to do tonight, wait for you to answer, okay? Uh, that's part of the question answer. 
And so I ask a question means that he's going to listen again to their answer. All right? And so I appreciate a child that asks a question that's in line with what I just said. It tells me he's listening, and it tells me he wants to listen some more. Or he wouldn't ask a question. When I say any questions, everyone says, circles. That means they don't want to hear any more about what I've just been talking about. Because there's no way in 20 minutes or whatever, a devotional, that I have addressed this topic with them, but they have not engaged the topic, so they have no questions. When I get to a topic that they are excited about or interested in, they always have questions for me. That's one of the ways I can tell whether people are engaged in what we're discussing, is by their questions. I want to listen to some more. I want to listen to some more. By asking questions, he's ready to listen to some more. Now, we're going to go a little bit farther on because we're not done with this yet. And so, um, verse 47 says, All who heard him were astonished at his understanding. And what's the last word? Answers. Where did answers come from? It wasn't in the last verse. He was listening, asking questions, and then there were answers. Okay? And so after engaging them, he went a step further. And yes, a 12-year-old is capable of this kind of thought process that he can add to the conversation. And I have tried even though my children are pretty sure I know everything about everything, I have tried to leave myself open to their ideas. And, in fact, just yesterday, we were somewhere, and, and we were coming home from the Bahamas, and my son says, I have an idea. And I was like, those are dangerous, you know. And, <laughs> but he knows he can share his ideas with me. I'm okay with that. Because while it may seem that I know everything about everything, I don't know what's in your mind and heart, and so I am also a good listener. And I'm glad to listen to your ideas, to what you want to add to the conversation. Sometimes, just because they're ideas doesn't mean they're good ideas, um, and I'll tell you if they're not a good idea and why, but sometimes it's like, yeah, let's try that. Okay, they can bring creativity. They can bring ideas. So Jesus Christ brings some answers as well as questions and listening. And that's what amazed them, his understanding by, ask, by what the questions he was asking and also that he had some answers himself along the way. And it says that they were astonished at him. And his parents were amazed at him. And what continually amazes me is that for three days, no one said, where's your mom and dad? <laughs> Where did the kids sleep at night? Who fed him? Somebody's feeding him. He's sleeping somewhere. But remember, he's at home. This is his father's house. I don't know that he left the temple for those three days. This is his father's house. He's at home. 
He is talking to guests in his father's house. I just put a twist on that on you, didn't I? <laughs> okay? I think one of the greatest measures of how your children are developing this way is to have guests. Bring a guest into your home, an adult guest, and let your children engage them. Don't chase them off into a bedroom. Let them engage them. Let them listen to a conversation and see if they can participate. And by 12 years old, they should be able to sit down in the living room and listen to adult conversation and ask questions and participate. If we have done our job well in raising young adults, by this age, by 12, 13, they should be able to do that. They understand uh, a lot of, of uh, uh, concepts. They, they, can, they can now conceptualize things without having to feel it, touch it, see it, taste it. Um, so they can think of abstracts, is what that's called. They can think of abstract things. Uh, by this age, they're able to en engage in logic and understand that this doesn't make sense to this. They should be able to by that point. And so don't be afraid uh, at, to bring guests into your home and to bring children, 10 to on up, to engage them. Jesus Christ is engaging the guests in his Father's house with respect, by listening, asking questions, listening some more, and then giving some of his own answers. And so we find that this is, how, this is a demonstration of them, even in his home, of honoring the authority of these rabbis in his father's house. And why is the home such a nice place to do that? Because your children are comfortable there. Where is your worst behavior? Where do you behave the worst? At home. You're a slob. You don't act, you don't dress in, you know, I, I don't show up and dirty and I don't, you know, there are some days I don't comb my hair at home. I'm working and, I, and I'm in the garden and stuff and I'm a slob. But I don't come to church like that. And if I know you're coming over, I'll, I'll Okay. But it's my home. I'm comfortable there. All right? And where can you engage children and get them to learn to recognize authority is in your home. And I would contend by bringing others into your home, you are teaching them how to be a host of a guest. How do we treat guests and I'm not talking about their peers. I'm talking about your peers. Remember, we don't care about socializing them with their peers because that's just a mess. We're worried about them socializing with adults because we're trying to raise adults. You can have play dates. That's okay. But when we get up to these ages, we need to be bringing in adults into our home and where their children feel at home, they're comfortable, and having them engage with adults. How do they, and that's a good measure of where you're at in their development in this area. Can they engage with authority? Now, I've been listening because of, and I'm picking on Scott Day because he's not here, he's on the mountain, he'll never know none of this said. So, 
uh, I've been listening to him talk to his boss, his new boss, which he doesn't know very well. He's only met him a couple times. And oh man, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. I don't know, remember the last time Scott called me sir. But boy, he knows to call his boss sir. I mean, every single sentence is like, his boss has got to be thinking this kid was raised in the military or something because it's like sir this and sir that. And, and, but he does the same thing, but he, he did the same thing in his last job, and, and everyone he talked to, sir and ma'am, sir and ma'am, sir and ma'am. You might say, well, where do you learn that? You learn that because that's what we required um, to speak respectfully to, to adults that we brought in our home. It's Mr. and Mrs. until they tell you different, and, and when they do tell you different, you still don't have permission until I say it's okay. You're not old enough to call them by their first name. Period. Whether they let you give you permission or not. Because they're not the authority in your life. How does that make you in favor with men? How do you feel? When you are called that way, when you're talked to respectfully by a young person, how does it make you feel as an adult? Like an adult. You ha good, you have more responsibility towards them. You recognize that they are acknowledging that you are their elder and that you are someone that they will listen to, learn from, obey, uh, work for, all of that. And so we learn these, not just because they're niceties and we're not trying to formalize relationships, we're trying to recognize authorities in our life. And it begins, I believe, with teaching our children to listen, to ask questions, to listen some more, and then to enter into conversation at an adult level. Give, when you're ready to give an answer, an idea, so that it's not off the wall and everybody laughs um, because it's that way out, um, that we, put them, that we are, feel comfortable putting them in. I still think the home is the best place, and the best place in the home, I think, is the dinner table. That's the best place for conversation. Um, and by the way, if I ever come to your home, please turn off every electronic device that is on in the house when I arrive, okay? I, I don't want to compete with your television. And, and by the way, that is your number one competition. They will listen to the TV before they listen to your voice. I should tell you who their God is. Who is their authority in their life? Okay? If I have, and it doesn't even matter what the... So, I got to tell you this story, all right? So I'm listening to Pastor Medell in the Philippines teaching a, a devotional on my laptop Monday. I've got my grandkids over. No, it wasn't Monday. It was Tuesday, or when was that? Thursday. Well, I can't remember what day it was. Anyway, it was the boys, so it was the Maycumber kids. And so here come Levi. How old is Levi, Maycumber? Fifteen months. Little over a year old. I'm listening to this preacher. He comes over. He wants to watch. As soon as I clicked on and he heard a computer sound voice, he comes running over. What does that tell me about? He doesn't do that when I talk, but he does that when the computer talks. He comes running to my lap. He, he's, he's sure that there's a cartoon on there. And yes, I do let them watch Sean the Sheep sometimes on their one episode a day. 
uh, at, at most. And so occasionally I do get to watch Sean the Sheep on my laptop. But as soon as he heard a sound come out of the laptop, he came running, running. Ah, he doesn't talk. Running. I went on your lap and I want to watch that. He is 15 months old. What sound gets his attention? And it wasn't what was said. It was the sound of electronic voice. And they can distinguish between a live voice and what's produced by speakers. Your children, babies can distinguish that. That gets his attention. Me talking to him, Levi, Levi, Levi. Well, I got, I'm probably 50-50 right now with him. Okay, He's starting to turn and realize he has to be attentive. But on a computer, bing, he's right there. Okay, They are capable. You're going to have to exert yourself. And so don't have this competition in your home of multiple things to listen to and then complain if your children didn't listen to you. Well, you've given them something else to listen to. That's, that has an immense power to captivate their attention. And that's why you turn it off before you say it. And, and I would prefer in your home with children that it be off most all the time because it has so much power. Uh, and truly it is an image that calls us to worship it, um, even against our will. And so please recognize you have competition there, and so remove it. And you will help your children learn to listen better uh, and more carefully and more thoroughly. Okay? Any questions, comments? <clears throat> this area of authority. <coughs> There's other areas of authority in favor of men that we could talk about, but I think fundamentally this is one thing that is really practical you can work on and develop not only in your children's lives, but even in your own life. How good of a listener are you to your spouse? How good of a listener are you to your boss? How good of a listener are you to other people you have a relationship with your neighbors? Um, do you listen well? And one of the things they trained me in seminary was in the counseling classes, you got to sit there and listen. And you have to go through all this irrelevant data before you finally get to something that will point you in the direction you have to uh, counsel people. But you got to listen to it all and then filter it down and say, well, what's going on really here? And so we are trained listeners. Isn't that funny? You don't think of preachers being trained listeners. But that's a priority in seminary that we be trained listeners before we're trained speakers. Because that's because we're not just preachers, we're pastors. So you can work on these things too. Any other comments, questions? All right, let's pray. I either did a really good job or it was a topic that didn't interest you much. <laughs> now you feel bad. Oh, no, I should have asked a question. <laughs> Process this and uh, just bring it into your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for the opportunity to gather together and to spend some time in your word. We thank you for the example of, 
of even a 12-year-old uh, Jesus. And Lord, we pray for our children. We know there's so much that distracts them in life and that those things are generally there to destroy to keep them from growing in favor with you and with men and wisdom and stature. And Lord, we pray we might exercise some discretion for them till they're able to do so themselves. And Lord, that we might be patient, but also energized to do the hard work early on. And Lord, we pray that our children might be responsive when we know that there are many influences that can undermine what we're trying to accomplish in their life. But Lord, we uh, know that they're really your children, that they're under our care for a season, and that they are uh, uh, belong to you. And so Lord, we pray for your help in this area of getting our children to grow in favor with men, uh, understanding authority, and, and uh, exercising it properly in their life. And particularly tonight, as we talked about in their willingness to listen carefully to authority in their life and to respond properly to it. We praise this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.